0: We say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, is anybody out there saying yes to God?
1: Thank you, Lord. We bless you this morning. God, we come before you. We thank you for the work you're doing on earth, that you would include us. We thank you for salvation, redemption, forgiveness, instruction, correction, revelation. We thank you for conviction of the Holy Spirit to keep us uh, in line, on time, in order. And we want to be right beside you, God, in these days. More critical now than ever. So we would ask you, God, for an outpouring of your presence this morning, God, for uh, everything that needs to be accomplished in us. We present ourselves before you. Again, we ask you to open your word to us, God. So that we might understand you yet better, there are things that are mysteries intentionally. There, are, there are mysteries simply because mm-hmm. we don't know them. Either way, we need your help today. Mm-hmm. So we bless you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. So we do have, um, we do have new people who are going to be downloading. Our downloads are flying, and um, and there's supposed to be some people here. We'll see whether they make it in the blistering blizzard that's out. <laughs> it's probably about I think 12 flurries of. Pieces yeah. of snow fell right on our street today. Um, again, there's, uh, if you're new to the notes, all the red stuff is just talking about technicals. Red is usually so I don't miss saying something. Um, sometimes if there's blue into red, it means I'm commenting or it's something I quoted someone else or red into blue. Work with me on my notes. Um, if, so, if you're online or listening to a podcast and you don't have a, a link to the live Zoom, somehow get in touch with me. That would be really easy, and, and we'll put you on that list. I sent a lot of attachments, I think around 5.30 or 6 this morning. Um, Some of them are duplicates of what I've sent in the recent past, so you have them in one piece. Some of them are modified a little bit. I want you to have those, though. And there's way more that I did not send just because there's so many theories and there's so much overload on these four critical Uh, scriptures at the end of Daniel 9 so I I just want you to have that and you can study and and there's even links in those so if you want to go into the swamp and live there the rest of your life God bless you Mm -hmm. I don't intend to be there um, one of the things that I did do is I sent you my Daniel at bat, it's, a, uh, it's an ancient picture that I modified putting a baseball bat in Daniel's hand, but that representation is him actually reading the Belshazzar Shazar, writing on the wall, it really has nothing to do with Daniel 9, but I thought it was such a great graphic that says this man has been batting a thousand, in everything that we really can check or um, uh, confirm in history, and so what kind of fool would bet against him going forward? That's mind-boggling, and that's it's you know the the Jewish people have um, in many ways sort of bet against him. They placed his writings in what's called the writings of the scripture, the canon of their scripture, as opposed to in with the prophets, Mm -hmm. because they were for 400 years after the cross, there was a massive intentional effort to sway um, to to sway the Jewish mindset away from eschatology, which is the study of end times, because it points right up to the the Savior, the the you know the Antichrist. It speaks of so many things. It, it it pointed forward from the Book of Daniel being written. It pointed forward to um, you know one empire taking over another empire, and you know we have um, we have Alexander the Great eventually dying at thirty three, and his, him not having any of his own lineage, and four kings uh, spread out from him, and that pointing again to four different empires. One being the Seleucids, out of whom. I believe is the Antichrist as do many other people. We'll touch on that lightly today. Now, a lot of the church believes that it's a revived Roman Empire at the end of the at the end of the age. I absolutely don't believe it nor did Tacitus really nor did Josephus in their writings. It's, they all point to the fact that it was Syrians who were hired as auxiliaries or provincials to the Romans and they destroyed the temple. So when we read that verse in Daniel and it says, the people are the prince who is to come. The prince who is to come is, is probably going to be Islamic. It's probably going to be Middle Eastern. So, we, so there's a whole lot of stuff there, and you can search it out, and you can go back into our Gog, a.k.a. Ezekiel, um, and the conclusion of the AIDS study. That's a really good study if you want to. We, we spend a lot of time there for, gosh, months, and that'll, that could flesh out this study. Uh, we're not meeting next Saturday, we'll be meeting the one follow, uh, following that. We will be exiting Chapter 9 this a.m., not because we've solved a controversial mystery. Um, I have opinions, I spend a lot of time with on this Dan Bruce thing, um, not because I necessarily think every he's, everything he's saying is absolutely accurate. In fact, last week I spent over an hour on the phone with him Sunday night, Saturday night, or Sunday one of the nights last weekend, <laughs> And, um, and there's things that I don't know that I'm 100% accurate. There are things that are speculative, but what I marvel about him, and I'll say that later this morning, is that there's been way too many components of my own spiritual walk that have been numerically marked by God's crazy stuff, license plates, a patent issuance dates, salvation dates, different things for me to not read something that where someone is speaking of chronospecificity absolute accuracy of prophecy and for me to blow it off it's just it it, you know i'm i'm called to teach this stuff and i'm just trying to be obedient fearing god that i don't want to go off on a tangent but at the same time there's things that he says that are that are startling me a little bit and a lot of the classical interpretation of these four verses we've actually been through um everything but the uh You know, but but really the 70th week we've actually covered all the way through 69 weeks. I'm going to go back into that and I'll touch on the 70th week today. And and I think by the time we get finished this morning, we'll be okay. And we have we'll have a good substance. Pray into it, discuss, argue, prove me wrong, teach me. I want to learn as well. Um, the Emmaus wrote, you know, there's a whole lot of things. Is, there are theories based on scripture and also history has worked in our, our favor to provide us with confirmation of certain events up to 2024. Nobody who wrote the Bible was around in 2024 except Jesus. I mean, he is the Bible, he is the word. But all the things that they, there were things that were written, it's just like that verse in Peter where it says uh, you know, the basically the ones who were writing in the, the Old Testament prophets were, were, were Investigating what or what manner of time the spirit of Messiah who was in them was testifying uh, was speaking when he testified of the upcoming sufferings and the glory that was to follow, and it says to them it was revealed that not to unto themselves but to us they were writing, so all the guys in the Old Testament were hearing things with a total anointing of the Holy Spirit in the in the Old Testament days, and, and the Spirit of God was saying to them there's, there's going to be there 's an era there 's an epoch, a beyond the appearance of Messiah, and there's gonna be a whole period of time and you're writing for those people. So the whole book has been written for us. And so we do have, they didn't understand, a lot of these people, I've said it before, they did not have, an un, many prayerful people did not have a prophetic grid that there would actually be in Israel again. That stuff doesn't happen. A nation doesn't hap, re-happen and revive the ancient language. And, and even that, even why they chose Sephardic Hebrew over Ashkenazi Hebrew, which had way more people speaking than the Sephardic Hebrew, is because they wanted the subsequent generations to be able to read the scrolls. And the Sephardic Hebrew was actually closer in accuracy to the scrolls than, than Ashkenazi Hebrew. I mean, it's incredible foresight, and I believe it was a leading of God, the hand of God, on his covenant people to get him into that place. They literally had to say, okay, we'll learn Sephardic Hebrew. You know, and it's sort of like You know, dueling banjos in a way, if you will. It's like you know, we speak Sephardic. You used to, you know, it's Shabbos and Shabbat. I remember when I was a kid, it was always Shabbos, and that's Brooklyn's uh, Ashkenazi (laughs) Hebrew, Shabbos. You know, say Shabbos. You never say Shabbat. But over the years, the Jewish people said, "No, we our our nation is back, and we're going to learn the Hebrew that will best qualify us to read the, the the ancient scriptures." That's spectacular. So, you know, the Emmaus uh, road disciples, they say, we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They tell it to a Jesus that they couldn't recognize that God had covered their eyes. In the book of Acts, um, the same thing happens. They go, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? So people are constantly wondering. There are things in scripture that are told us, but not clarified as when. And there's other things that aren't even clear as the what. And we know, I did it, I read it last week and I've read it before, that there are things in scripture that are so specific it's goofy. You know, almost think, well that's like a little thing, why is it so specific? I believe God's saying I can be specific when I want to, and I could be prophetically ambiguous when I choose to. And I really believe the takeaway for us is he's calling us to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit Holy Spirit-obedient, so that we don't have a spreadsheet. So we just don't take the ball and run with it. And that's exactly what we would do. So a lot of it's frustrating because you want to know more, but it, but we, we know enough that we know what we should be doing. And again, I said this last week, St. Jerome was in 400 A.D. He was already questioning the wording of the word weeks because the word in Hebrew was actually sevens and and. A, I said it again last week that it has to do with a cutting and covenant. It comes from the letter shin. It's very sacred. We get Shabbat and Shalom and Shaba, vow and oath from that very same word. So it's very wild. It, there's a there's a thing there that has to do with the even the assumption that it means weeks, which has been taught in a Western church. But people were questioning it as early as 400 A.D. Jameson Fawcett Brown in 1871 didn't know. W- didn't know what we know has happened on Earth. So they made some assumptions. There's things I've quoted in the past, what they said, gee, it mm-hmm. sounds like uh, Mohammedism, but Mohammedism is waning. So they were looking out of the lens of 1871, and it looked like things were sort of petering out with, with Mohammedism, and so they were willing to literally read their Bible and interpret prophecy with a, with a foggy lens. We have to be careful we don't do that. We have to be careful. Meanwhile, our Lord tells us to his disciples in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, he confirms he's a prophet, it's standing in the holy place, and then Jesus, this is a parenthetical of Jesus, this isn't a Bible writer, Whoever, whoever reads, let him understand. Jesus is saying that. He's saying basically go back, I'll open that book for you when you see that. Now, a lot of people want to say, well, that had, there's been many things that were abominable in the temple, many things that were abominations that caused the desolation of the, of the holy presence of God over many, many centuries. But if you read the context, and uh, you know we've read this many times, but we're going to read it again because what's critical to these verses is there's a time marker on it in verse 29, and it says immediately. So he can't be talking about AD 70. He has to be talking about a future date here. Because the word in Greek is euthios. It absolutely means forthwith or immediately. Like, you know, you do this and and not tomorrow but it means immediate, immediately, immediately. And if you look where the word euthios shows up in the New Testament, every place else it's, it's inarguable. It's like he turned left and he turned right kind of scripture. It's like it was an immediate. So listen to what Jesus is telling us. Again, if you're new to my notes, all the little print, the smaller type is, I have it there on my clipboard, but we're not going to read it, but I leave it on so you could get the fullness of the verses without thinking that I'm just trying to massage the scriptures into my interpretation or my lens. For then there will be great trouble, great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, known nor ever shall be. It's clearly in line with, uh, with, with Daniel 12.1. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And then he says, see, I've told you beforehand. He says, be careful. He says, you'll never be able to say, I didn't tell you. The church might tell you. The church might say, oh, if it's, you know, the supernatural is gone with the first century, which will set the church up for being duped because they'll never see the real. They'll therefore look at the counterfeit and it'll look legit to them. Then he goes on in verse 29, which is a time marker. Euthyos, immediately after the trouble, the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. We cannot apply that to 70 AD. It It would be folly to do that. And then the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming into clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. This is clearly the conclusion of the age. Now, one of the things that we're gonna see this morning, but we, I've said it many, many times over the last 10 years, is just because something gets fulfilled doesn't mean it's not gonna get fulfilled again. That you learn from experience in studying scripture, because, um, There are things that happened in 70 AD that people want to write all this off. Um, People are into dominionism thinking we're going to present a safe world to Jesus. It's all going to just get better and massive revival will result in everybody with their hands in the air waving. When Jesus comes back in the clouds, that won't happen. But there were certain parts of this that were partially fulfilled in 70 AD. And there's others that are waiting fulfillment. And Jesus told us in Matthew 5, every jot and tittle is going to be fulfilled. So it's It's just important for us to understand that. So my takeaway, particularly the fourth and fifth time teaching through Daniel, first and foremost, and I'll say it several times this morning, the most important thing is that we have fresh, prayerful, surrendered lives and that we're full of the Holy Spirit. If God wanted us to have it all in one place, in one writing, in one book, on one spreadsheet, we'd have it that way. The intent is to keep us relationally needy, which is off-putting and uncomfortable. It's like God, if you'd only tell me. But the whole point is he, he, he is jealous, zealous for us. He's kana for his people. Therefore, he causes situations to present themselves. He establishes the time frames and the boundaries of our lives so that we might grope for him and find him. So he's constantly wooing us into this place of intimacy, not simply into a place of knowledge. Which grabs me, of course, because so, I get so fixated on things that I can sit there and think, man, I haven't really been thinking about the Lord for like an hour. An hour, And I, where am I? Like, I know where he is, but where am I? And I thought, you know, when taking every thought captive, as Paul says in Corinthians, it means every thought. And we, are, we sort of like look for timeouts almost, like taking a break from Jesus as if it's a relaxing place. It's not. It's a reckless place. It's actually reckless. And so God in his mercy sometimes will scream at us, but it's much better to be guided by the eye than by the bitten bridle, you know. That's the way you wanna get guided. That's Psalm 32, where David starts prophesying after he's restored, and, and he's speaking on the behalf of God. He says, I really prefer to guide you with eye contact, but if you're not making eye contact with him, he says, I'll jerk the, the bridle around in your mouth and yank your stiff neck, because I wanna keep you from walking off the cliff. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely plan B. It's definitely not plan A. So Romans 8, and the whole chapter points to Holy Spirit infusion. Even in saying there's no condemnation, doesn't, the verse doesn't end there. It says it's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then there's no condemnation. But when you're out of that, the, the, you're, like, uh, you're vulnerable to an enemy who will consistently condemn you. But he goes on here in verse 8, in 816 in Romans, Paul says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And which is what we want. You want that witness because sometimes common sense or circumstance will cause you to think I'm I'm not a child of God anymore. I have a friend who calls me often, struggles with, with, he says, today the devil's telling me. I said, well, why are you listening to him again if you know it's him? Stop listening. Make a a choice. Hang the phone up. Hang up the spiritual phone and stop listening. Because the devil is looking, part of his job is condemnation. And so when we want every thought taken captive, and then he goes on, Paul, in uh, Romans 8, and he says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The world's groaning waiting for us. I mean, they're waiting for his return. But prior to that, they're waiting for a spirit-led, spirit-filled army of people who are going to proclaim... The, the holiness, going to proclaim goodness, going to proclaim repentance for sin, going to proclaim judgment, and, and the whole concept of well, you know, I'm not a speaker. Well, well, our God spoke the world into existence. Yeah. You know, I mean, we sing the world into existence, we speak the world into it. We do the same thing in many ways. God gave us mouths to speak, and and if we hold back from speaking about Him, where everything else that's coming out of our lives our mouths is not going to be that effective. I had an amazing conversation with someone I've known for about 20, 25 years now. And the world's shaking enough that yesterday on the phone he was able to hear me. I mean, I've said it before. It's not like I hold back much. But he was able to hear me because things getting a little crazier around him. And he's saying, well, my wife and I are thinking about, well, maybe when the kids are out of the house, moving to another country. And then, you know, five minutes earlier he was telling me that this is the greatest country on earth. And I said, it is. And look at the mess we're in. So where else are you going to go? (laughs) You know, back in the hippie days, everybody was going to go to Canada or Australia, someplace else that sort of sounded a little like America, and and flee the draft, flee Vietnam, flee this, flee that. And the reality is, is really, at this point in time, with God shaking the the coal edits, the whole world, there's no place to run. So people are constantly looking for a better place. I don't blame them, but the reality is, the storyline is it's a global thing that's going on. In Isaiah 14, it talks about the whole earth. It talks about judgment on Israel, but then it says it talks about it, the whole earth. So the place, it's not a place we can run, it's a savior we can run to. That's what he's going to in these days. So the, the holy disciples were told to do nothing till they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They're already holy. They're already saved. And Jesus said, don't even go anyplace. And seriously, for 2,000 years, we've seen the church going all over the world, minus the Holy Spirit. And you can only go so far. And, uh, you know, I mean, I believe God honors the, the death of a saint no matter what, even if they shouldn't be someplace and, they, they're, and they're martyred or something. That's, that's, he's, you know, he's sweeter and kinder than that. But the reality is you want to be in this world. You really want to be in His will. And that comes in Romans 8, tells us at times we don't even know how to pray as we ought to pray, but the Spirit in us knows how to pray because it is the Spirit of God in us. And so sometimes when you don't have the words and you're praying in the heavenly language, you're accomplishing way more than you would. This morning, in fact, it was interesting because I was up early, early, and I was praying out loud in with my understanding. And man, so much got done. I was like, it was really cool. I was like experimenting this morning. And... You think you want it all. You want to pray with the understanding. You want to pray in the spirit. You want to sing with the understanding. You want to sing in the spirit. You, in a, I don't want to say think in the spirit, but you do. I mean, there's, a, there's something about our mental processing that only gets us so far. And there's something about every thought getting taken captive that elevates your brain to a different place. That's what he's calling mm-hmm. us to understand. The perfect clock is the only perfect clock. I just changed the battery in this old guy on the wall here. The only perfect clock is owned and controlled by the creator of time.
0: Yep.
1: His clock's perfect. And I've had, I've told you before, but I've had some crazy timing events in my life, very cool things, just God just confirming things to me. You're on time, you're this, you're that, and and, it, it's, and this clock is really a beater, but um, I don't want to get rid of it because it has a spiritual history. I mean, I have, I have events that God used that clock to speak to me about something. So the verses, one more time, these are the verses that we're in this morning. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. We've been there for weeks. Seventy weeks are determined. Now we have read them all in context with very little commentary. I'm breaking them down a little bit here. Seventy weeks are determined. So in reality, in Hebrew, it's seventy-sevens are determined. It's more accurate. We've looked at that. For your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression. Now here's some of the you know, Jehovah funnies, if you will, or the Hebraic language, okay? The word is kalah, a primitive root. So finish, it can mean to restrict by act, to hold back. It can mean to forbid, to keep, to refrain, restrain, retain, shut up, be stayed or withhold. So that's why there's so many theories on these verses because the words that were employed, there's other words that could have been employed. These are the words that are in the Hebrew. To make an end of sin. What does end mean? Tamam. Okay, it could be a good or a bad sense, literal or figurative, transitive, okay? It can accomplish, it could stop, it could cease, it could be clean, it could pass, it could consume, it could to have done, it could fail, it could come to full or fullness, it could all be gone, it to it could make perfect. And you think, well, what does that mean? Like there's some of these different translations of the four verses or the interpretation of the verse some people think well Jesus is on the work was done on the cross 70 weeks are accomplished and part of the 70 weeks was the work on the cross isn't this possible very very possible Could, could it mean the sacrifice of the animals very very possible it's not just a carte blanche that now that Jesus was born everybody could go on sinning we certainly know that another thing that is determined is to bring in everlasting righteousness and people say well that's jesus that's the work of the righteous one to so cover us in his blood that we can now be vessels for um for the residence, for the ongoing indwelling of the holy spirit but the word bring in um, is another interesting word it's bow and it it's um it's to abide which makes sense Apply, attain, befall, to come against. I'm just reading some of them. There's so many to to um, to war, to uh, befallen, to depart. All those are these definitions. These are Strong's definitions. These are taken from people carefully studying all of Scripture and reading the Hebrew Scriptures, and then saying, "Well, where else is it used, and what does it? What's the intent in that place?" So they're not just like arbitrarily. You know, spinning a game spinner and adding words to to try to you know waste your head. He's saying this is what this is, and usually a good study. Like I have a study software, really good, um, Olive Tree. That you could like you could look. I could type in um, you know, gee, please, you know, I'm looking for uh, what's the number here? I'm looking for th- three seven two two. I think I or 0935. nine three five. I'm and and a, and cite all the references in Scripture. It's mind boggling. When you start seeing how the words are are worked into different sentences and how God breathed this for purpose. And again, some of it has to do with an ambiguity because he's cloaking these things. Some of the things we know now are clear because we're living in 2024, but poor St. Jerome in 400 A.D. couldn't know. Isaac Newton couldn't know in the 1600s. And then he says to seal up vision and prophecy. There are people who are cessationists and they think sealing up means there won't be any more prophecy in the New Testament. There aren't any prophets anymore. I don't know where they get that. But they say, oh, seal up. It means it's like, you know, enough. Enough's enough. It's like sealing the tomb. But it also, the word is hatam, or hatam, cha, yeah. Um, A primitive root to close up, to seal, to make an end or to mark or seal. You could mark something with it. And then there's anoint the most holy. Uh, uh, this, is, this is where we get Mashiach, right? It's, it's the anointed one. Masha, or Mashiach here. The primitive root. To rub with oil, to anoint, to consecrate, also to paint, as if you're dousing someone in oil. We were at an anointing one time, and it, it was a big conference, and, and all these guys are on stage, and they put out this big black tarp, and we're thinking, what the, what's going on here? And man, they, this guy, he was like he was going into a turkey fryer. I mean, they were pouring oil on this guy. And he got painted that day. There was, was no question this man was anointed. Yeah. So I'm just saying that a lot of these things, if you, again, if you're a blank sheet of paper and you don't know, and someone says this means this, and this means this, and this means this, they, and they, they will work. But then, like we looked in the last couple of weeks, then we started reading some of the commentaries on what 70 weeks means or, or 490 years or 483 years, and, and, they, and they, they can't find any historical documentation of something happened. Why was there seven weeks and then 62 weeks? Why wasn't it just 69? Was there something happened at seven that was a historical event that was so dramat, histor- prophetically dramatic that th- that hint was breathed into this? by the angel who was speaking. The wild man, Dan Bruce, found something. And he had already discovered what what looks to be an accurate code in realizing it looks like in Daniel the code are the counting of Jewish holidays, sacred Jewish holidays. And he had some that had to do with Passovers, and these he believed were Pentecost. In Daniel 12 it goes to another... Goes to another holiday. And he started going back and then he started really, saying, oh, I'm off by a year, and then he realized, oh wait, there was no year zero. And suddenly everything went click, 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 everything got into place. So we're gonna look at that today. That's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Now there's other things, we're yelling at each other on the phone arguing. <laughs> it's wild. I mean, I love this guy. In fact, even he said at this time, I think he thinks finally COVID might be over. And so um <laughs> oh, if, poor and, Oh, I love you, Dan. If you listen to this, I love you. I know you, you might sometimes. He's an amazing man of God. This time, we both actually said we're going to get together sometime and, and have coffee or something. And then he says so, there's, so we have 70 sevens are determined by God, unnegotiable. Whether we understand them or not, they're determined, and we will understand them eventually. It says 70 are determined. Know there and understand it from the going forth. Of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, that sounds easy. All you got to do is look for a command. The only problem is there was about five of them. Artaxerxes, there was one. There was another guy, and and the one that Dan Bruce, which we're going to look at today, actually points to, is one that was uh, just just years before before Jesus, because he doesn't think it was four hundred some odd years, but he says from the command to, because those other commands don't fit the structure of the rest of that those sixty nine seventy weeks. So he says, to restore and build Jerusalem until the prince, there shall be seven sevens and 62 sevens. There'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So it could be 483 years and some get to 490 years, but it could also be 69 events, prophetic events. And Dan Bruce thinks those prophetic events were Pentecost that he counted out. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times, which totally points to us that whatever your eschatology is, it's not going to be easy days. The troublesome times. And the concept of a wall being built, which is, of course, there's an irony to what's happening in America right now, Mm -hmm. is you're doing it for safety's sake. You're doing it for safety. And even the, the... Caesar, Julius Caesar's edict was because of all that was happening between them and Egypt so they wanted Israel to be fortified because to them they saw it as a stopgap to hold back the Egyptians coming north that's the kingdom of the south in the prophecies and we looked at that in uh, in Daniel 7 and 8 and the kingdom of the north is typically Babylon or the, the northern kingdoms so there was a concept of wa- why were the walls to be built a lot of the um, edicts to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem by the kings in the days of Daniel, it never says it's in the days of Daniel. It was an assumption. People said, Oh yeah, people told Ezra to go back or Nehemiah to go back to build, and they say, but it doesn't say when that was done. And so it leaves itself open to a historical scrutiny. And then he goes on, the street shall be built. And after the sixty-two weeks, meaning after the sixty-nine sevens, because you have the First seven weeks, then the 62, first seven sevens, then the 62, Messiah shall be cut off. Now, again, we got all the cut-off definitions. It could mean killed, which is very, very possible. There was also other circumstances. There were other Mashiachs in the history of Israel, including priests and including kings. And one guy had, I told you, we read it a couple of weeks ago and I sent you paperwork on it. His ear was cut off or bit off by someone else to disqualify him from priesthood so it might be even in the fact that the word Mashiach is several times in these verses one of them could have referred to a disqualifying of a priest and the other one could have been the the killing of Jesus already it causes your head to spin you're just thinking what and I've read this stuff I can't tell you how many hours i put in this stuff I'm so happy to be moving forward here so We've discussed many times. So two historians who were, you know, his, you know legit guys, Tacitus and Josephus, and Josephus confirmed the stretched-thin Roman army, classically employed hateful neighbors with ancient issues to assist as provincials or auxiliaries. And it's written as Syrians, basically, to, us, to destroy the temple. And it fits all of what we studied in Daniel 7 and 8 regarding who leads the charge It's our Ezekiel study, it leads all the nations are cited as the ones who are leading the charge against Israel in the conclusive days, and look what's happening right now. And all those nations that are listed in Ezekiel, they they came from different continents, different race, they even served different demons. They had different cultures, they didn't look alike, they didn't even probably talk to each other many times, and now they have one thing in common, and we know what that is and it's Islam. So what's going to happen? Okay, the people of of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he and he, the prince who is to come, likely, although according to Dan Bruce the prince who is to come, who's confirming here, he thinks it could actually be Jesus. Which is a, I, I've sent you on the bunny trail to read Dan Dan Bruce if you want, buy his book if you want, read it. But it, it, he doesn't take and he doesn't make, he doesn't disqualify Jesus as the savior of the world, as the only one who died for our sins. Uh, we're going to look at a little graph today, and you'll see where he's getting to here. He goes, but in the middle of the week, he should bring an end to sacrifice and offering. If you see this as the Antichrist setting up a worship system for himself after three and a half, uh, three and a half years of seven years, that totally makes sense. If you see what Dan Bruce provides and what other people say in counting sevens, it gets your head spinning again. Verse 27 is most popularly considered as having been suspended. Most people say, well, we have the 69 weeks or 69 sevens, and the time, many people believe the time of the Gentiles basically, you know, taking control began at that time, after the 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. And they say that. And so what's happening is people, people in fact, you know, Rob and I have been, believers for 50 years now. So when we got saved and started hearing things about this, people would say, yes, now that, you know, after the 1940s, now that Israel's a nation, the clock is ticking. So we have another 70 years from the 1940s. Well, we're past that now. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that? And that that was a very popular theory early on in our salvation. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, and people were pointing literally to the years that we are living in now, basically saying, Jesus will be back by now. Well, here we are, and there's many who sold books on how we were gonna be raptured by now, which I believe we're gonna be here to point people to Christ. The whole concept of the trouble is to get people saved. And so why would he take his, his testimony and his light out of the world other than for selfish reasons? And I always say, I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I'd love to be wrong here, I'd, I'd love to get my harp soon. But meanwhile, it probably isn't going to be that way. So I'm just saying that as the clock does continue to tick, we start looking at certain things that were very, very popular that don't have credibility anymore. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Which again, drives you to your knees saying, I just want God, I just want to be found in you. I just want to be found in you. So to our general understanding, you know, there's a prophetic gist here. And that is trouble There is warring, raging kingdoms. Because remember, every doctrine, every theory has to be weighed against the achad of the entire book, the wholeness of the book. Even though the 70-week prophecy is only in these four verses and people have taken it and run with it, this has to work in context with everything that's being written in Thessalonians, in, in, in Revelation, in Zechariah 14, 12 and 14, in the last six chapters of Isaiah, it all has to, that's, that's the completeness of God. This is, our, this is when people say the scriptures testify of themselves. It's basically saying to you, 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 it's the whole scroll. And and Dan will say, well, I'm really focused on Daniel. And I say, well, yeah, but there's this and there's this. and There's something he doesn't know his Bible. He knows his Bible well. But I'm saying we really want to have a, a really a, a universal understanding of what the whole book's telling us. Because it'll help balance us out it'll sober us so we don't lean over too far. so this is a chart that Dan Bruce has in one of his books and I put it here. I added a couple of things on just for clarity. so he's saying that he counted 70 weeks equals 70 77s if you will, equals 70 Pentecost and he started at 42 BC. that's not a long time prior to the the days of Jesus, 42 BC. 'Cause he kept looking at the earlier commands to build the temple and he couldn't find any historical dates. And you think we have a doctor who's there pretty accurate usually. You know, we have we have him, we have a we have a tax collector who wrote he was probably knew how to keep things in columns and lines. An he was an accountant, yeah. He was an accountant. I mean you have two guys who are really I mean, you got a fisherman, so well, how many how many fish are in the net? That's between. They always exaggerate. We don't. They always exaggerate. And you know when people use the word fish story, that's you know that's like calling someone a politician. You know. So, but you got two guys who wrote two of the gospels who probably have a conviction of accuracy. They never mention any of those any situation that that would fit. But well, look at this. So Julius Caesar's decree was in 42 B.C. and in 36 B.C. That's which is seven sevens here. Herod the Great captured Jerusalem to finish the transgression, brings Hercanus back to the city in 36 BC. And then we have 62 sevens, or 62 weeks, but Dan says 62 Pentecostes. Pentecost, it would be between 35 BC and 27 AD. At that time, John the Baptist shows up. John the Baptist is so underrated. We just see him as like the lunatic cousin who <laughs> lost his head. The wild man, even in The Chosen, I mean, he looks like a wild man. He probably was a wild man. He ate weird things, he was, and he was a troublemaker. I mean, he really was a troublemaker. He was like in their face. You know, the, the people that come in to hear him, and he calls them a generation of snakes. I mean, <laughs> you, know, he was, you know, I mean, he was like, he just said it. <laughs> he just said it. He was not, um, what's that, seeker-sensitive, okay? <laughs> so, but John the Baptist began proclaiming, in essence, a new covenant. He, he said nothing about temple sacrifice. So that literally could be the marker of the 69 sevens. If that's the case, then the question is, well, are they consecutive? Are they concurrent without a lapse? Is, is there not a suspended ticking clock for 2000 years? Then the question to Dan Bruce, which was our conversation last week, but I already had this from him from years ago and it's in his book. I said, well what's the what would be the seventieth seven? He said between twenty seven AD and twenty eight AD was the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. It was forty days before Passover. It had to occur then. Like again, I'm not going into the great depth of it, but he, but it absolutely coordinates. It absolutely coordinates. And he says, I found he says, I didn't make these things up. I mean, when you start studying his book, it lends so much credibility to the things that he has been called on to evaluate. So he necessarily would be required to confirm a chrono-specific, accurately timed, noted event that would mark the 70th 7, and he was able to do it. So the chart, consider, we discussed in the past few weeks, the baptism of Jesus, the Lord's statement that sinless Jesus was to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't need to be baptized for his sin, But he was actually initiating, this is an initiation of a new covenant, perhaps to fulfill Daniel 9, the prophecies of John Mm -hmm. the Baptist, the angelic announcement, his correlation to Eliyahu, Elijah, his position in the redemptive plan, they can't be overestimated. I mean, it was a big deal. He was a big mishagas. He was a big deal. He He was a big, big deal. Look what it says here in Luke 1, verse 15 for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is the angel talking to his dad. She, okay, you have baby cousin Mary, who's like 14 maybe. Then she has older cousin Elizabeth, who was like beyond childbearing years. So there was like older cousin. You know, was, in my family, because of the war, a lot of Jews stopped having kids, even in the 30s. And so there was really, a, there was a, most of my cousins are, are gone. I'm in my 70s, most of my cousins, because I had 15, 20 years, so I was like the baby cousin. But here, the the angel is speaking to his dad in the temple, and he says, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, which didn't happen. He was filled when his older aunt shows up. No, he was, yeah, he was filled when his younger Aunt Mary, pregnant Aunt Mary, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, shows up to his mama, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in Elizabeth's womb. There's something special about yeah. John the Baptist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> There's something special about this guy. And he will turn many of the children of Israel mm-hmm. to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Eliahu, of Elijah, and why? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was establishing a new covenant. It, it's, I don't think there's a lot of argument in that. And then Jesus shows up for the baptism. And this is in Matthew 3, and it says here, verse 14, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Meaning, there's this prophecy that has to get fulfilled. It fits. It fits. Then he allowed him. Jesus allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus come, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, that's my boy, I love him. This is my son, I'm well pleased. This whole thing is... Of an audible from heaven. All these people talk about Pirate's Cove and Costa Mesa. How'd you like to be here? An audible, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, this is like a big deal. This is a serious big deal. We sort of walked through this like, okay, now Jesus is baptized and ready to go, but why? Why was this happen if he was sinless? We knew he was sinless. So this could be taken to validate what what Dan Bruce says. It, it, It can fit because I have to be careful. I read stuff. Sometimes I'll be like eight, ten, twelve pages into someone's writing and I'm thinking, we're going south. Slowly but progressively, I'm done. But I haven't seen that here. It's very challenging to me, and I fear God too much to, to mess with, you know, just spinning a tail. But so Listen to what Dan Bruce says. John the Baptist was the messenger of the new covenant, raised up to call the people of Israel to repentance for forgiveness of sins. And he did so without reference to the temple and its system of sacrifices that were required by the Mosaic covenant. The symbolism of John's use of baptism by submersion in a body of water, the Jewish practice of purification called the mikvah, that represented purification of the soul from bodily sins, would have been well understood by the Jews who heard this message and sought his baptism. The use of the Jordan instead of still water has to do with living waters. the whole thing's powerful. The whole thing was purposeful and powerful and public. And then we go back again to Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, he'll prepare the way before you, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says warrior God. So he's pointing to this whole thing that's prophesied throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. And, and, you know, even even there was a suddenly, Elijah shows up, Elijah the Tishbite, you don't know anything about him, suddenly just pops up. If you start, if you read the verse, I think it's in Kings, that talks about the, the Tishbite, you think, where's Tish and who's this guy? You never heard a peep prior to that. He just sort of, goink, he's on, on scene. Same thing, with, with, same thing happening here. So here, there's a solid opinion in a writing about John the Baptist by this woman. She has a really funny thing on her site, and it says, what a woman can accomplish when she has time on her hands. It's really, really well written. It's a great storyline about John the Baptist. It's all biblical. It's very good. So one co- conclusion arrived at by, John, by Dan Bruce, which does not contradict Scripture, because if I don't know something, I want to see, first thing I want to make sure is it doesn't contradict Scripture. Because if it does contradict it, then it's suspect. But it doesn't contradict it. He writes, when the details are examined closely, the 44 BCE decree by Julius Caesar can be seen to fit the description of the text of verse 25 in Daniel 9 exactly. In it, he, Caesar, decreed that Hyrcanus II, who served as the high priest and also as ethnarch of the Jews, uh, f- f- between 63 and 40 BCE, was granted the city and the people of Jerusalem to rule as he saw fit and decree gave permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed by Pompey 20 years earlier in 63 BCE, when Rome first established its sovereignty over Judea. The lack of walls, which had included large tower gates with broad places behind them for assembling troops and a moat or a trench at the base of the wall to increase its height prior to their destruction by Pompey had left the city vulnerable to its enemies, especially the hated Parthians to the east as well as the Egyptians coming up from the south. So Rome wasn't doing this to fulfill a prophecy. Rome was doing it for political stability and military stability in the earth. God often would use a nation, and they thought they had an agenda. God said, no, I'm just using them. That's why he called Nebuchadnezzar a servant. And if you can read Zechariah 1, and, you, and other places where in pride, the, the, you know, the, the Babylonians or other people say, my strength, my might did this, I accomplished this, and the Lord says, you're toast someday. I'm just using you. you, Is the axe going to boast to the one who wields the axe? People don't realize that. And most of those nations and empires are long gone, and the Jewish people, against all odds, are still here because God's faithful to his covenant. Caesar wanted to refortify Judah to serve as a defensive buffer between the Parthians and also Egypt, Rome's breadbasket. So he was eager for his figurehead ruler in Judea, Hyrcanus II, and the procurator Antipater, Romans appointed power behind the throne, to begin rebuilding the city walls as quickly as possible. So they were not doing it to fulfill a prophecy, but they were doing it. They might well have been doing it to fulfill this prophecy. And Dan Bruce is like studying history. and there's 20, 30, 40 pages of history. We're gonna look some of it. As we get into chapter 11, you're gonna see why Daniel holding the baseball bat is batting a 1,000. Because he kept prophesying things, and, and we could check a ton of them off. Meaning, what we don't know, don't bet against. Don't bet against Daniel. I'll go back. The third key to interpretation of the prophecy is to understand the time period meant by the Hebrew word weeks, which is the Strong's word, As already mentioned, most traditional expositors have interpreted the word weeks, meaning a week of years. In other words, a week in Daniel is interpreted by them as meaning a period of seven years. In such a scenario, the seven weeks then becomes 49 years, 62 weeks becomes 434, but they can't tack them onto historical events that would warrant the prophecy. So maybe we don't know them yet, but it makes you wonder I mean, we're discovering a whole lot of stuff. We're dig, 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 digging. They're finding things every day, and they can't do it. Week of years is not the meaning of the word weeks. This is Dan Bruce. Used to specif- if you read reviews on Dan Bruce, people call him names. Oh. This nutcase, this, I mean, they call him names, like, you know, because it doesn't agree with what they were taught. They call him a nut. What if he's right? What if he is? Maybe he's not right in other things. There's things I think I, tr- I try to speak into him, you know, He came out of a different background than me. But I'm just saying, what if he's right? And 62 weeks in verse, in that verse, the word weeks is used in the same way that elsewhere in the book of Daniel, Jewish calendar units were used as cryptic references to Jewish festivals. In the eighth chapter of Daniel, the phrase evening mornings was used to indicate Passovers, and we went through that. In the twelfth chapter, the word days was used to indicate days of atonement. Here in the ninth chapter, the word weeks means feast of weeks or focusing on the main festival day. As shorthand, it means Pentecost. Thus, the time periods being designated in verse 25 are seven Pentecosts and 62 Pentecosts. Accordingly, it can be seen that the time period covered by the prophecy of the 70 weeks is approximately 70 years, not 490. So what happens here is that if he's correct that all 70 of the weeks of the sevens lined up that chart would would basically allow us to visualize that and see it so more classic and popular interpretations of the 70 weeks are typically presented like the ones that uh, that credible other credible folks have presented in the past jack hayford talk about a man of god there's a man of god here's what jack hayford writes Uh, red is highlighted so we don't miss it. Blue is my thoughts. So this is Jack Hayford writes this. The revelation of Daniel of 70 weeks came as an answer to his prayer. God showed him that the refining judgments of Israel will come to an end and their acceptance of Messiah would bring in everlasting righteousness, which quite frankly they haven't done yet. They haven't done it as a nation yet. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Baruch HaBab and Adonai. We're waiting for Ezekiel 39, you know, or or Zechariah. They're going to look on the one whom they've pierced. That we're looking on the Jews, finally understanding why they went into captivity. They don't understand it yet, so there's still a cover over their eyes. Paul wrote after Dan Bruce's 70 explanation, and the Jewish people still haven't come to in in mass. There's a remnant. There's a small, small amount of Jews who know Jesus as the Messiah. This prophecy provides a time frame for messianic prediction. This is Jack Hayford from the time of Daniel to the establishing of the millennial kingdom. Jack Hayford would not be in agreement with Dan Bruce. And then he gives some notes that he has. And he writes this, Jack Hayford, to a great extent Israel becomes God's prophetic clock. I don't have a problem with that. The time frame of the 70 weeks of 77s of years, and then he has years, so I put a question mark in. Is it 77s of sevens? is associated with Daniel's people, the Jews, in the holy city, Jerusalem. The fact that the weeks of years, says Jack, are 360 days is established by a comparison with several verses in Revelation that look like they're talking about 30-day months, and Dan Bruce doesn't agree with that. So depending upon who you talk to, I can't get Jack Hayford on the phone right now. He's busy with his reward. But, and when he was here, I couldn't get him either. But I'm just saying that a lot of these things have to do with people's opinion or what they've been taught. And I have to leave it there. Daniel Bruce bristles over folks using 360-day years as a scatological reference. Hayford doesn't, and I don't. Because God is very, very... There's a bazillion calendars, by the way. It's not just two. People always say, well, there's a Gregorian, there's a Hebraic. There was a calendar that was cited by Jerome. It was called the Julian calendar that NASA uses to this day. It has an 8,000-year kind of period. I don't know where what they're thinking because they typically are humanists who think there's a gazillion years. Isaac Newton, who was a praying man of God, had all these things, but it was based on a calendar only NASA believes in now. So you want to go for a rocket ride, <laughs> talk to them. Jack Hayford provides this as a classical interpretation, because that one was his when we just read, the classical approach differs seeing such numerical computation as arbitrary. That's the classical, it's arbitrary, like the numbers don't count. If use of 490 is representing not a literal period but a lifetime punishment for seven times over, meaning how many times you forgive someone? Till 70 times seven. Yeah, there's a good Jesus reference there. There's an, there's an argument for that. In other words, to this viewpoint, To some form or other, Israel's desolation will last for centuries, the post-exilic return not marking the end, that end, but an end will come. This view also confines his prophecy to the second century B.C., that time when Jerusalem would suffer greatly at the hands of Antiochus Epiphanes, one who makes desolate. He was one who made desolate. So it goes on and on and on. And literally, the things that I've... Sort of tried to put in one place don't even agree with each other, and, and they're from credible people. Another thing which are not in your notes, but I'll read it and I'll send you new notes. The classic interpretations often looked at a 70th week with the eschatological clock again ticking, pointing to an end bracketing a final seven-year period of the tribulation. To say that's seven years, and this does seem to coordinate with with other verses in Scripture, and that would say that. There's an Antichrist who is yet to appear. I believe I don't have a problem with that at all. That there will be a final Antichrist. I don't think anybody's arguing that. And during that time, there's going to be a period of trouble and then greater trouble, like like tribulation period. And and in the middle of these seven weeks, but they get that out of Daniel out of Daniel nine that the um, that it, that. Remember when Satan said to Jesus, uh, he's a liar." He didn't have it to give, but he said, "I'll give you all this if you worship mm-hmm. me." It's all about worship."
0: Yeah.
1: And so because there's no rest for the wicked, there's an insatiable uh, greed, a covetous greed for um of pride, the concept of allowing the Jews to be duped by an Antichrist saying, "Oh, we have a new world order and we're one world, and you know Kumbaya, and everybody's getting along together. That's a maybe in the first three and a half years, but you could imagine the satanic antichrist raging, thinking, I don't want anybody worshiping anybody but me, and then he shuts down a rebuilt temple, and then the Jews start realizing that we've been really, in essence, prophetically date-raped by the antichrist, and that would get them to crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it does fit, So, and I have a typo in my own notes here. We've covered that many times in the past. It's very possible in a logical timing sequence to consider in which case many believe we'll see a rebuilt temple. I don't have a problem with that. We know the, uh, was it the Temple Institute? Institute? They have all the artifacts in place there. They, they basically took like the smallest, most portable sizes, how small we can make something and, and still qualify, and they're just waiting for the temple. They're waiting. I mean, there's other people who are off on some chasing red cows, but it, I mean, because they got a verse in scripture and there's money to be made. But the reality is that it looks very much like there will be a temple at the end. And it looks like something will happen that will be so abominable. But it will then finally get the Jews to a place of brokenness. Where if, and, and, the, and the people standing next to the Jewish people are not going to be a country. It will be a kingdom. It will be the primarily Gentile church standing with the Jews. And we hear this now. We've heard it recently. Um, I think it was Jonathan Cahn said it. The ones who are uh, attacking now are saying, we're going after the Saturday people, and now we're going, we're going to come after the Sunday people. Mm-hmm. So in the church, you know, when it says in Isaiah, comfort, yes, comfort my people, it's to people who are reading the scripture. It's praying saints, and the saints are going to be right there. We will, this will cost every one of us. So all this to say, through the study and many prior, we've learned that because any prophecy might have been, now this is a generality of all of scripture. This is just a good thing to know. Just because a prophecy may have been clearly fulfilled or partially fulfilled does not restrict God from fulfilling it yet again, unless he says he isn't. I'm not gonna, he's not gonna destroy the whole world by a global flood, but he's destroyed parts of the world by a flood. He's very good, he's like a great attorney to way he wrote the contracts. <laughs> So it's really good to read them the way they're written. He didn't say I'll never again destroy anything by a flood. But he but so things that have been fulfilled might be fulfilled again. A, a good example is the Elijah prophecy. John the Baptist is coming. Jesus said, he he, basically, he says it when he testifies of John, he says, This is Elijah and he's gonna come again. And the Jews to this day are sit there with a, you know, with a play setting for Eliyahu Hanavi, the one who's to come, because they don't see John the Baptist as having been in yeah, Passover, the Pesach table. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for things that, any, and anything that has never been fulfilled will definitely be fulfilled. Jesus told us that in Matthew 5, like the smallest little detail of the nomos, which is a Greek word that applies to the entire Jewish scriptures, not just Torah. But the word "nomos," law, the instruction of God. He says it's. But just because we don't know something, like if Dan Bruce happened to discover something that's bona fide accurate, just because someone might not have had the facility to research that 300 years ago, because there there wasn't a Bill Gates yet, you know, or or Steve Jobs yet, and you couldn't get to, and Jerome couldn't read the internet. Jerome didn't have access to Google. But there's things that we have right now, we're able to uncover things that to prove that they work now. It might require adjustment on our part, or at least a prayerful flexibility of the days in which we're living. Because if some of the th- our vision, including my own, my vision of eschatology is the things I know haven't happened yet. I always say that, H-H-Y. There's things that clearly haven't happened. He hasn't come in the sky yet, there hasn't been a seventh trumpet yet, every eye hasn't seen him yet. There's a lot of things that simply haven't happened. You can bet on it. We are betting on it. The way you're living, you are betting your eternity on the fact that God is faithful. You're betting on it based on the fact that the spirit in you bears witness that you're a son or a daughter of the king, and he's changed your life. Yesterday I was on a Zoom call with two guys I got to lead to the Lord in the last five years. One of them was on the Zoom call, the other guy calls me on the phone. One's in Toronto, one's in Calgary. They're both up there. And they both know each other's stories, and they met each other yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was so glorious. They know God. They know God. They're, this one guy, the guy in Toronto, I haven't seen him since 15 years before he got saved. The whole, whole conversation with him has been on the phone. But people know there's something that registers, you know, the Spirit of God registers in you. And so these hopes register in us. So, so we know that, but we have to remember there's things we might not know. It doesn't mean they haven't been fulfilled, in which case we might, I think, personally, we might be in for some surprises. God's never going to be unholy. It's never going to get, you know, it's never going to get stupid or goofy. But at the same time, a lot of the things that we sort of want to lay out in a straight line I might, we might be up for surprises. And I've not been surprised by what's happened on Earth because I've been teaching this stuff for decades now, but I'm surprised at the frequency. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at the, the noise level, if you will. I never would have thought our nation could devolve this quickly mm-hmm. in the last five years, mm-hmm. ten years. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in New York during, when the towers came down. I was right there. I ministered there like six blocks from... Ground zero. And I remember it was like a, it was a turning point. Not just in the world, but in me, too. It's like this stuff's really happening. It's like happening right now. So I will say this, and again, I don't pretend to know all things clearly. If I did, I'd be telling you which one it is to bet on and which one not. But we know Jesus told us in John 16 that more revelation is reserved for the Holy Spirit to impart to Spirit-filled people over the past 2,000 years. He said it. He says, I have more things to tell you, but you can't bear it now. There are things that we might not be able to bear if he told us now. Sometimes you would sort of got, get a, got to get walked into something to be able to bear it, where you realize God's with me, which is so amazing, because listen to this. It's so, I want to see if I have it here. Well, there's you know, one place that tells us that don't even think about what you're going to say if you get hauled into court. You think, wait, he's saying you be prepared. It's not preparing your words. He says, I'm going to so anoint you in that day. If if you're called into that place, I'm sovereign over you. And you know how people say, oh, so-and-so should be talking. Remember Moses arguing about Aaron was a much better public speaker? And God got angry. So when God calls you to do something, he called you because he wants you. And so you'll be fully equipped. You'll be the perfect person. And so it's amazing. John 16 says this. Nevertheless, let's see, how am I doing time-wise? We're doing good. Okay, we're finishing up. I, 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 I've been stuck here the last couple of weeks. I tell you the truth. This is John 16, verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine looking at the Savior and you're thinking, don't leave. Whatever you do, don't leave. And he goes, no, 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 no. It's to your advantage. <clears throat> For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now the word convict means guilty. It doesn't mean just reveal. If, you go, if you're in court and you're found innocent, they don't, they don't call you convicted. They take the cuffs off and they, and they, and they wish you the best and, they, and you leave front steps and someone hugs you and you drive off in a Mercedes. That's how it works, right? You're either set free or you're convicted. Convicted means you did something wrong. And he's saying you the Holy Spirit's gonna convict the world of righteousness? You think righteousness is good? What is this saying? This is telling us that the righteousness of the world is humanism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that has so permeated the church and so infiltrated the church that we've dialed down the judgment of God. We've dialed down the fear of God. Mm-hmm. We've dialed down warning every man because we just want to love him into the kingdom. Loving someone is warning them. Right. And so what's happening is we are people who don't want to read these things because they're offended. They're offended by truth. And that's, again, it's funny, even Dustin said it last week at church, and he says, yeah, Elliot's always talking, he wasn't criticizing me, but I, I do, I always talk about men's hearts failing them for fear. Those are going to be saints, thinking, ah, I wasn't on my grid. God is good. You know, you go to a conference, God is good all the time, you know, yelling back and forth like a high school pep rally. He is good all the time, but his goodness is, is centered on righteousness. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, it starts shifting something in you over the course of your walk and people will say well you're now you're boneheaded now you're narrow-minded now you're this you you know you're not open to this don't you you know just like well this you know why do you get to the absolutes this the book is absolute and so he says he is going to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe me that's an easy one yes amen of righteousness 'Cause I go to the Father and you see me and I'm like, why in the world that? And he's saying the righteousness of God required Jesus his son to be destroyed on a cross, murdered, lacerated, flayed, spit on, nailed. That was the righteousness of God. And this whole 70-week prophecy came after Daniel basically laid it out, having looked at people who for seventy years had fish hook scars in their faces. And he's saying, God, you're righteous. We had to, this had to happen because you're righteous. Because your righteousness means you are you are one with your covenant. You are one. Chesed, it's that love that's based on covenant. He says you are righteous, and so because of your righteousness, you're not going to break righteousness to love on me. It doesn't work that way. And so we don't want to address the fact of what God allows or what even God causes and so we again the Jeopardy's going to be a praying church who doesn't even understand the prayer language binding in jesus name what jesus is doing because the scriptures tell us these things are going to happen and then saints melting we don't want to go there all right we're desperate for more of god bottom line hungry 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 okay I continue to learn a lot about the cryptographic interpretation, the example, history or scripture or both will provide one or two marker points. There's two things, terminus a quo and terminus ad quium, which is Latin, but it's looking for a starting date or an end date. And it's sort of interesting because there's prophetic words that have been given to me and I'm searching our life. It licensing contracts because you know I'm an inventor and we have things people have given me prophetic words I'm trying to find a dating because of things that have happened in my life I'm doing it as a little prophetic hobby for me right now but there's certain things that we're learning and we know that God could be specifically specific or purposely prophetically ambiguous we know that meanwhile here he goes this is what I wanted to show you before Luke when they bring it to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities do not worry about how or what you should answer what you should say. Why? For the Holy Spirit, who hopefully you've been in intimate fellowship with, active, prayerful, obedient, holy fellowship with, will teach you in that hour, in that very hour, what you ought to say. That's amazing. This is why we want to be surrendered. Stop, I'm saying it to me too, stop justifying compromise in your your life. Don't do it. Just don't do it. If it's in the book, it's because he loves you. My personal journey, and I'm teaching this and trying to plow through it. There's been enormous 316s. I've had birthday scriptural alignments. I have them in here if you want to look them up. That's my birthday, my mom's birthday, my dad's birthday. I didn't write the book. Go figure it out. I've had dreams with cars and license plate numbers that <laughs> subsequently appeared on patents. I can't, I can't ignore that. I would be sinning if I ignored that. God speaks to everybody different. There's different love languages. He speaks to people all different ways. I'm just saying that I can't ignore what God's doing in my life, and, and it, as long as it aligns with Scripture. And we're told countless times that things are sealed up to the end. Aharit Yam is latter days. It's the end days. There, and are we in the end days? Yes. Are we in the end day? Probably not. Is there time past today? Very, very likely. But there are things that we don't know if they're all unsealed. Dan's book. Dan Bruce's book is called Daniel Unsealed. If you Google Daniel Unsealed, there's like eight authors who have Daniel Unsealed books. Make sure you get Dan Bruce's one. So we pray, we read, we study. If there's potential that all of Dan may have already been fulfilled, here's the thing that unnerves me. Then much of what the Church continues to look forward to occurring may have occurred, which means we might be in for a surprise. The safest place to be is on your knees safest place. And again, I'm not going to be a pan-millennialist saying it'll all pan out. The truth is it will. Mm-hmm. It will. It will pan out. But if you're, and if you're walking in obedience to God, if you're determined that you're going to submit to God, you're going to be holy, he, he won't even extinguish a, a piece of smoldering flax. As long as there's life in you, he will not do that. That's how committed he is to you. So none of the stuff that i presented to you Ever, I mean, God help me to never do it, but especially when it's speculative like this, none of it detracts from or denies all the rest of Scripture. Real Lord's upcoming, loud, highly visible, through the return through the clouds, overthrowing wickedness, rescuing His people, reigning in Jerusalem. The cloak verses of Daniel 9 do not override the rest of Scripture. And again, it points us to a place of we want Holy Spirit filled lives. It comes down to that. And like Paul said, without holiness no man will see the Lord. And he's and God's saying, but but I got you. I got you in the palm. I got you in my grasp. Next time we meet, we're going to be in Daniel 10.
0: <laughs>
1: oh God. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, God. Thank you so much, Lord, for the just the journey of discovery, the wonderings, the speculations. God, the ones who've gone before us. Thank you for our journeys, God, as we look back and we. We see a gentle yet extremely strong hand upon our lives, keeping us from um, from spiritual stupid, God, <laughs> keeping us from uh, uh, disobedience to the divine, God. Things you've rescued us from and taken us out of and dusted us off, and we we say, God, we we're not saying it in condemnation. We're saying it in hope. We just want to do better, God. We just want to we want to love you more. We want healed hearts, healed minds, healed bodies that we can love you more. We ask you, God, just like. That, uh, that verse in Zechariah, ask the Lord for rain in the time of latter rain. That one's easy, God. We ask you for an outpouring mm-hmm. on our lives. We ask you, God, that you'd take a firm hold of us and you'd move us, God, firmly and uh, decisively, God, that we would be sensitized to you. We'd not be overwhelmed by the noise that is going on on earth right now, much of it to distract us, even with good intent. God, forget the, uh, the 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 terrible sin, even with good intent. God, we do not want to be distracted in these days. God, we want to be eagle-eyed, riveted on you, God, moving, God, in your circumstances that you'd be glorified. God, knowing that in that glory, God, is our safety and our success. And particularly this day, God, if something I said was weird or tweaked or out of line with Scripture, God, you'd delete it. And God, if it was of you, God, that it would just... Uh, it would help us build a storehouse of love for you and understanding and stability God and we bless you God and we uh, we're going to try to all say it at the same time so i don't have to edit lord but we all unmute our mics at the same time so we can say we're in agreement with your plans lord and your saints we say amen amen, amen. amen. So we say
0: yes so we say yes so we say yes so we say yes Is anybody out there saying yes to God?